Hello there, listeners, and welcome to this week's episode of the Better Than Fine podcast. I'm personal trainer, wellness coach, and positive psychology practitioner, Darlene Marshall. And the last couple of months, we've been doing at least one episode a month that we dive in deep on a particular scientific study. And I have been getting all kinds of feedback, some great questions and takeaways from our regular listeners. And it's been really fun to hear what you think of the studies as I break them down, the questions that they prompt in you, your takeaways, maybe different conclusions or practices that you draw from those episodes. Uh, so reminder, if you have any questions, follow-up, suggestions, feedback, you can email me at info at darlene.coach. I definitely want to hear them. I'm going to be putting together a follow-up episode from all of those different study episodes, the questions, the comments, the things that you took away. So I definitely want to hear them, whether it's about this episode or any of the other study episodes I've done in the last few months. So today, as we are recording this, it is October 10th of 2023, and that is World Mental Health Day. And I used to really roll my eyes at all of the World Mental Health Day stuff that would wander across my desk. Uh, it felt like this like plastic, fake, happy awareness holiday. Uh, and it didn't feel very sincere. It didn't feel very helpful. And it just didn't align for me. But the last two years, it's really felt like that conversation has shifted into more meaningful practice, more meaningful ideas around mental health and the original intention of World Mental Health Day, which is to bring awareness, to bring practice and useful tools out into the world that also serve to reduce stigma because in some cultures, admitting that you have a mental health problem, admitting that you have a mental health diagnosis can come with some really negative consequences. So today on uh, my Substack, which is betterthanfine.substack.com, also the Substack for the show, I opened up fully for the first time about my own mental health journey. And I've alerted to it on the show before. I've mentioned struggling with my mental health, but I haven't really talked about it in a full, complete way about what's been going on with me in the course of my adulthood, what that's been like, and what's been affected for me. Uh, and it felt like... Uh, a big risk, a big leap to open up about that. Um, but fortunately, I was encouraged by some friends, some colleagues that in doing so, what I'd actually be doing instead of just, you know, that fake vulnerability, plastic uh, wellness woman stuff uh, is inviting other people to be more open about what they've been going through. Because as a person in the positive psychology space, as a wellness coach, as a podcaster, uh, people might project this idea that like, oh, she knows all this stuff. Like, she must be great. Uh, but in actuality, I've had my own struggles with mental health starting in my teen uh, as a teenager. And it's still continuing today. And that's okay. Because part of what that's done, admitting that I struggle with my mental health, uh, embracing my mental health diagnoses, has allowed me to go off and find useful tools. And oftentimes those tools have then led me to things that have helped myself, my clients, my family, and fulfill that mission to help other people. And I share all that because maybe, maybe hearing me admit that I struggle too will help you today on World Mental Health Day. So if you wanna read the whole article, you can check it out. It's better than find.substack.com. But this week, this episode of the show, we're gonna combine some of these things. So mental health outcomes, and this is a study episode about, wait for it, 
mental health outcomes. So we're going to do that by looking together at this study. Effectiveness of physical activity interventions for improving depression, anxiety, and distress, an overview of systematic reviews. And this is by Ben Sink and colleagues. It was published in February 16th of 2023, so earlier this year, about eight months ago. Now, if over the course of this summer, you saw a bit of like hullabaloo about mental health and exercise, chances are that this is the article, this is the research that those articles were referencing. And what I wanted to know is if that hullabaloo, there's a lot of hustle and bustle about this idea that, oh, exercise is actually more effective for mental health than these other treatments. I wanted to know if it was true. So I figured we could check out this study together and dive in and learn about it. Was the way the media reported on this study accurate? Hmm. I also want to lean in with a disclaimer. I am not a doctor or a mental health care provider. I am a wellness coach, a personal trainer, a yogi, a positive psychology practitioner. So while I know a bunch of stuff about stuff, I'm not your care provider. And I am not saying anything negative about life-saving medications. And I do believe that for some subsection of the population with mental health conditions, that medication is life-saving. There, in my world, there's absolutely no stigma around a mental health diagnosis. And those who choose, whether they are doing that work with a licensed clinician or out on their own as a formal diagnosis, doesn't matter. What I do feel is that we need more conversation and understanding. We need more compassion. And we need more effective treatment to work through whatever's going on with people. One of the ways that we could be doing that is through physical practice. And that's what this episode is about but I'm not a doctor. So you should talk to your doctor about what's going to work for you, please. Okay, let's dive into this study. This is the first time on this show, in this series about studies, that we're looking at a meta-analysis. So a good meta-analysis is when the researchers pull together all of the available information about a particular topic, and then they set criteria about, okay, what are we going to keep? What are we going to exclude? This is what we're keeping and why, and then they dive in deep. So let's say that we were gonna do a meta-analysis about fall leaf color. And so we went out and we got all of the research around leaf color in general, but then we realized, okay, so some of the research is about spring leaf color. That doesn't actually relate to our meta-analysis. Okay, now we got this smaller pool. And then we realized, okay, some of the research in this smaller pool was done with like outdated methods or done in some kind of unethical way, like they were manipulating the trees somehow to change the colors. We don't want those. We want the ones that were done ethically and with current good practice. That's going to leave us with a pool of what is included in our criteria. And the reason I really want to spell it out, that we have these standards and then some things are considered outside of the meta-analysis criteria is that oftentimes in the wellness space, we see certain kinds of influencers saying, oh, those scientists excluded some evidence. That must be a conspiracy to hide something because like, I don't know, big pharma or big wellness or whatever doesn't want you to know. Uh." Um, But actually most of the time, it's just well-intentioned scientists saying like, okay, that actually has some like ethical problems or some methodology problems or something wrong with that study, or it's outdated, 
or they they did something that's outside of the criteria. So we're going to exclude it. That's not a bad thing. That's us having a standard of what should be recognized as good and scientifically valid, and then cutting things off when we're outside that line. So this meta-analysis uh, was to examine claims around physical activity and whether or not it could help with depression, anxiety, and what the researchers defined as mental health distress, which is just symptoms and signs that stuff's going on. So they searched 12 total databases looking at collections of research, and they only kept these three criteria. Systematic reviews of randomized controlled trials. Don't worry, I'm going to explain what that means in a second. That increased physical activity in adults. So they didn't look at kids. They didn't look at teenagers. They just looked at adults. And the, the study had to involve increasing physical activity. And they assessed depression, anxiety, and psychological distress. It makes sense that if you're going to look at mental health stuff, uh, that you don't have it be a study about foot pain, right? Okay, so those are the three criteria. Now, I want to explain what a randomized controlled trial means. So a randomized controlled trial is considered one of the gold standards in research. And it's used to measure how effective is a drug, another type of treatment, or in psychology, we call it an intervention, right? That's an activity, a thing that you would do to see if it helps with your system. So like gratitude journaling is an intervention. Um, and if you remember the title of this study, Effectiveness of Physical Activity Interventions, dot, dot, dot. Right? So we're looking specifically at physical activity interventions. So a randomized controlled trial measures how effective those things are. And typically you have two or more groups. The first group is called a control group. And if you're giving something like a drug, they'd give a placebo, right? So a, a fake drug, something that doesn't have any effect on the body. If you are um, doing some kind of treatment, they'll give a benign treatment that's shown to not be more effective than placebo. So let's say it was gratitude journaling. You'd get like, I don't know, just writing your thoughts out or writing about your day. Now that we're not going to go down the rabbit hole of whether or not that works in that case, but the other group, so you'd have the control group. And in this case, those people were told like, just don't change your level of physical activity. And then you have the group that gets the intervention. And if you're studying more than one intervention, you might have more than one intervention group. We'd call those conditions. Um, but in this case, we've got two groups, the control and the people who change their physical activity. You randomize everyone in the trial to fall into the different groups. One keeps doing what they're doing. The other one does the, the intervention. And then you see what's the difference between the control group and the other group. And then we call that effect size, right? How big of a difference is there if there's any at all? So if you've ever heard the phrase, uh, no effect greater than placebo, it means that there wasn't a difference in the two groups, all right? So in our case, again, going back to the criteria, it's a meta-analysis of systematic reviews of randomized controlled trials. Well, what's a systematic review? Well, that's smaller than this big analysis that we're looking at. But so they take a few studies that are similar and they go really in depth to analyze the data to look for trends. And so our study that we're looking at is looking at these systematic reviews to compile a whole lot of data. You get a whole bunch of these systematic reviews and then we can see like what's really going on. That's what we want. That's how we find good practices is we look at a whole big chunk of data and we go, yep, that stuff works. So in this case, in our study, we're looking at 
they looked at 97 systematic reviews that covered 1,039 total trials. So that's like intervention versus control. 128,119 participants. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of data. That is a lot of science to sift through to come out with good practice. The study that I read for this episode is 112 pages long. And I share that because it highlights most people out there on the internet saying like, well, I've done my research. They're not, nor should they spend their free time slogging through data and research. That's mostly just for people who work in labs and like lowly podcasters to do, uh, to bring that information to you. You're listening to the Better Than Fine podcast. I'm Darlene Marshall. And today we're looking at the science of exercise and mental health by analyzing this meta-analysis that talks about, wait for it, exercise and mental health. So when we look at studies like this, they start with introductions that set the stage of the current scientific findings before the researchers dive any deeper. This study's introduction mentioned specifically that different countries have different protocols for clinical practice guidelines. So that means depending what country you're in, when you go to the therapist and the therapist says, this is what I think you should do, it's going to vary country to country. And in the United States, where I am and where most of our listeners are, clinical practice in psychotherapy, which would be seeing a psychologist, or pharmacotherapy, which would be seeing a psychiatrist, they prescribe medication, um, it's recommended that those things are the initial approaches for depression and anxiety, so therapy or drugs, and that lifestyle change is considered to be an optional complement and is labeled as alternative therapies. So that's the same as like acupuncture, um, uh, smelling essential oils, aromatherapy, right? Like they're lumping exercise in with acupuncture, going for walks, aromatherapy, that kind of stuff. So the introduction also says that there are hundreds of research trials that have shown the effectiveness of physical activity to have a similar benefit of therapy and drugs. Now, the advantage of physical activity over therapy and drugs is that it is a much lower cost, a much lower barrier for entry for most people, and it doesn't have any negative side effects, which a lot of antidepressant and anti-anxiety medications do. So the unfortunately, because of the recommendations as they currently are, physical activity is not commonly recommended as a treatment option for uh, from therapists and psychiatrists. Personally, this is my personal speculation, I believe it is because therapists are not trained in how to facilitate movement and lifestyle change. And that's why we need a deeper conversation between personal trainers, wellness coaches, and mental health practitioners. Hopefully this evidence is going to convince you why I feel that way. So let's look at this evidence. Are you ready? What these researchers found, 72 of these systematic reviews covering over 62,000 participants showed what is known as a medium effect size in reducing depression and symptoms. I want you to keep that thought in your head, medium effect size. We're going to talk about that a little later. 
28 systematic analyses covering 11,000 participants showed a medium effect size in reducing anxiety. Okay, we got these big chunk of people. We got a big chunk of data, medium effect size in treating depression and anxiety. Now we get to kind of the cool stuff. I think the really cool stuff when we're talking about how do we as practitioners work with people for their mental health when it comes to exercise. You ready? All modes of exercise, all intensities shown to be effective for depression and anxiety both. They look at strength studies, stretching, yoga, cardiovascular exercise. You know what that tells me? Movement for mental health, modality, irrelevant, intensity, irrelevant. The most important thing to quote my friend and fellow podcast host, Rich Richie, a little bit of something is better than a whole lot of nothing. The most important thing is that you move your body if you are looking to use exercise as a tool for your mental health. There are a few details if we dive in a little deeper, but I really want to stress this. I think so often in fitness and in wellness, we get so lost in the details as practitioners, we throw the baby all the way out with the bathwater. Because we want to nerd out super hard and try to find that like 2% edge with that athlete mentality. And there's nothing wrong with that. But for general population, when 27% of society is not getting the recommended baseline movement. We don't have to worry about details. We have to worry about how we get people motivated and moving. So I'm going to share these details, but I cannot stress this enough. The most important thing is that we get people moving. Okay. So three reviews that they analyzed, which was a small amount of people, 232 people, not a lot compared to the scale of this sucker, showed that the people who got between four and five days a week of activity had better outcomes than people who only did two or three, okay, and better outcomes than the people who did every single day. So four or five days a week was the sweet spot. And the researchers speculated as to why, but I'm not sure we can actually say why. I think what's more important there is that if our client says the best I can do is four, we go, great, great. Four is fabulous, my friend. Do it. Do it and love every second of it. Um, That's going to be good enough. It doesn't have to be every day. It doesn't have to be perfect. You just need something that's going to move the needle. And because they looked at so many studies, they got a lot of data on the effectiveness with all different kinds of chronic conditions. I'm going to distill it down into a delicious essence for you. Are you ready? All of these effects are greater for anyone with any kind of chronic physical health condition. Physical activity benefited across the board more so than it did for general population. And I even hesitate to use the phrase general population when more than half of the citizens of the United States have a chronic physical condition. Um, Doesn't matter what you got, movement's going to help. The researchers also discuss that because the effects of movement on depression and anxiety aren't a single thing, What we'd say in this industry is multifactorial. There are many different modes of effect. So physiological, neurological, psychological, social. It doesn't matter what movement you do because it could be working on any one of those levels. It matters that you're going to do it and that it's going to feel good. They did find, this one caveat, resistance training had a larger effect size on depression. 
uh, and that moderate and high intensities for resistance training were more effective. Um, so picking up heavier things, going harder, if you're going to go for resistance training, push yourself. Now, their theory is that resistance training specifically, we know, improves serotonin and neuroepinephrine availability. Those are both um, neurotransmitters that help to regulate the HPA access, essentially the balance of your hormones in your brain and your body. And that um, resistance training helps to reduce inflammation in the body. But low weight, low intensity, high rep doesn't actually do those things. You need to pick up really heavy stuff in order to challenge your muscles and your nervous system. So that is what makes resistance training more effective for depression than some, some other modalities. I'm going to qualify it because there are some modalities that are more effective for depression as well in a similar way. They also cover that yoga has a large effect on anxiety than other modalities, but they didn't speculate as to why. And I can't say. You're listening to the Better Than Fine podcast. I'm your host, Arlie Marshall. We're talking about exercise and mental health, and we're looking at this study, Effectiveness of Physical Activity Interventions for Improving Depression, Anxiety, and Distress, an Overview of Systematic Reviews. So I said in the intro, one of the reasons I really wanted to look at this study in particular is because there were headlines earlier this year, a whole dearth of them, that essentially said something like this. And this is a quote from a headline, but I'm not going to tell you from where. Exercise, 1.5 times more effective than medication for depression and anxiety. So I saw that and lots of similar headlines over the summer. Now, lots of popular media want to write a headline that pops, right? Um, they're going to say things that get people to click, to scroll, to spend their attention economy in that website on that page so that they can sell memberships and ads. That's their business model. But nowhere in this study does the researcher claim that it's more effective than meds, that physical activity is more effective than meds. Nowhere in this study does the researcher claim that the effect size of physical activity even has a specific number. So how could any journalist make the claim that exercise is 1.5 times more effective than medication for depression or anxiety? But do you remember that thing where I said medium effect size earlier. Let me read it back to you. They looked at 72 analyses covering 62,000 participants that showed a medium effect size in reducing depression and symptoms, and 28 analyses covering 11,000 participants that showed a medium effect size in reducing anxiety. So what's this idea of medium effect size? I don't want to bore you too hard by showing off how much of a statistics nerd I can be, because I'm not actually even that good at it. <clears throat> but what I can tell you is that there is a number that is assigned in statistical analyses that says how much more in one intervention benefited than like something else than placebo or control. Remember that placebo and control group, right? So you've got the control state, you've got the intervention state, and then they assign a number for that difference. It's, it's a number assigned relating to, if you remember, bell curves and standard deviations. And if you don't, don't worry about it. But that's what the number is relating to. And medium effect size is when that effect, the difference between the control and the intervention, is more than a 0.5, 
but less than a 0.8 because over 0.8 is considered a large effect size. And that's like a really big deal. If you find something with a large effect size, like you're a rock star, you've just made the world better. Um, medium effect size is pretty good. But this grades the question. If it's more than a 0.5, less than an 8, it's a medium effect size. Like, that's pretty good. What about antidepressant drugs? Because the headline says it's one and a half times greater. So antidepressant drugs are rated, rated in their effectiveness by how well they help manage someone's symptoms. I went out and I hunted down multiple reference sources uh, and essentially boiled down to that the average effect size for antidepressant drugs is about a 0.3, which is considered a small effect size. One study translated it to about what the equivalent of a 10% reduction in someone's symptoms. That's what antidepressants do. So I was really skeptical about that headline, but if you think that antidepressant drugs are a 0.3, and movement interventions are a 0.5, then that would be one and a half times as effective. So then I went out to the American Psychological Association's current guidelines on the treatment of depression. Exercise is referenced three times in the totality of the guidelines for the treatment of depression on the APA website. Um, it's recommended as a, an attempt when therapy and drugs are found to be ineffective and still labeled as an alternative treatment, which I find disappointing, but there is this growing body of evidence that had to be created and compiled and proven to be effective. And these institutions tend to move pretty slowly. So my hope is that six months, a year, two years, I hope it doesn't take two years from now, I can come back on and do an update episode where I get to tell you that it's changed. But right now, the American Psychological Association does not include physical activity as their first recommendation. I see two gaps that might be leading to this. The first is that therapists don't know that much about prescribing exercise. They aren't educated as part of their work in embodiment practices. And some of the therapists I know feel uncomfortable because they're not knowledgeable. They don't know how to talk to their patients about exercise um, and how to structure exercise for mental health. So that's one gap. And if you're a therapist that listens to this show and you want to talk about what effective education would look like, please reach out. I very much want to talk to you. The second gap that I see is that movement practitioners, so personal trainers, fitness professionals of all stripes, um, we've been trained that to see physical practice through the lens of gaining muscle, losing weight, physical performance, right? We're trying to cause a physiological adaptation. And because we focused on that, and it makes sense given the previous evidence, we don't really have information out there about how to structure exercise for mental health and emotional health. Um, it's part of certified wellness coach. It's part of our education, but it's not necessarily for your standard movement practitioner. And I see that as a gap. And if you are a movement practitioner that wants to have a conversation about mental health, uh, please do reach out because I'd love to hear from you. Uh, and let's open up this conversation because I believe wholeheartedly, 100%, this kind of practice, this direction is the stuff of the future. 
And I believe that the savvy practitioners are the ones who are going to know and learn how to blend all of these different factors into a modality that supports mental, physical, and emotional well-being because we are one holistic integrated organism. And if you listen to the show for a while, you know, I do not believe in my body dualism at all. Uh, we're all one thing and that's a person. So I want to hear from you. If you have feedback, if you have thoughts, if you have ideas, reach out. You can email me. It's info at darling.coach. Instagram is also darling.coach. You can find me on LinkedIn or check out our Substack. It's better than find.substack.com. If you're a fan of the show, if you haven't subscribed already, please go ahead and do it. If you haven't let us a review, please go ahead and do it because that is going to help other people find this show. If you also get something out of this, if this has benefited your wellness and well-being in some way, please do share it. That also helps our show to grow. Like, comment, subscribe. You know what to do. The other thing I want you to do is be well and take good care of yourself. See you real soon.